Thank you, worship team. We appreciate you leading us before the Lord. Morning, everybody. And I echo what Jay said, uh, happy Father's Day. Um, but uh, ultimately, I think every dad here would want to make sure we point our children to the Heavenly Father because that's why we're here. And so ultimately, we say happy Father's Day to our Father in Heaven. And we're going to learn quite a bit about our Father this morning. I want to read uh, from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. We're going to ask God to teach us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love, he does not know God, for God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his Spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Let's pray. Our Father, it's uh, pretty evident to see as we read through this text what the focus is. Your love. Your love is amazing. And Lord, if we could just get a, a, a little glimpse of it this morning a better glimpse, maybe a clearer glimpse. I know, God, it would change us. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you would teach us. We ask you'd silence the other voices in our minds that have cried out to us this week, albeit the media and all the concerns and distractions, Lord. So it would be your voice we hear. Because your voice is the only one, ultimately, that really matters. And so, God, thank you for that. And thank you that you're here. In Jesus' name, amen. We've looked at, uh, through this first John series, I don't think it's been hard to miss. It's a hard-hitting epistle. I mean, John has really clarified and laid it all out. Here's what a, here's what a true believer is, and, and here's kind of a fake. Here's someone who's going through the motions. Here's someone who may claim the name of Jesus, but has not confessed, really, that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And remember, he's kind of spoken into an existing context where there's been Gnostics and this group called the Cessationists, this group that really believed that knowledge has power and that they had special knowledge from God. And because of that, they were, they were an elite group, is what they believed. But John here doesn't speak a great knowledge. He speaks of something that was sorely missing in these groups. Great love. The love of the Father is what he speaks about. It's not hard to miss. This is a great book on love. Love is mentioned 46 times in this small epistle. And what a great love it is. God's great love is the foundation of everything we just read. read. And, and don't miss, I think, the key connection here, the key connection our world has yet to make, is the connection between love and truth. We think we can ignore God's truth and really love each other. Matter of fact, you see that all around our world. Matter of fact, those who stand on truth are ridiculed. Because we're told we don't stand in love, and yet the world says, you know what, we're standing in love, ignorant of the truth. And when you separate those two, you're no longer seeing the truth of who really God really is, and thus you're missing really what true love is. John won't let us do that. He doesn't let us separate these things. He wants us to know what real love is. And real love is tied to truth, the ultimate truth, our God. Now I want to consider the truth of God's love for a moment, because his love is indeed a love of a different kind. We know from other scriptures that God's love is unspeakable. I can't understand it. But I know I've experienced it. And can never be separated, separated from that love according to Romans 8, verse 38 through 39. We can never be separated from God's love. And I've heard some say, you know what, you can lose your salvation. And I've heard others say you can't earn your salvation, but... I believe because we're not separated from the love of God, if we can't earn it, we can't unearn it. Because we can't, we're not, we'll never be separated from the love of God. God's love is that great. It's unspeakable. It's unending, according to Jeremiah 31.3. Jeremiah says it's an everlasting love. It's an eternal love. It's an everlasting. It's an unselfish love. God's love asks for nothing in return. It always leads us to respond because it's that kind of love. It's a great love. We know from Scripture Jesus made himself a servant. Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve. Because God's love is an unselfish love. It's not only unspeakable, it's not, under, not only unending, it's not only unselfish, it's unmerited, cannot be earned, it cannot be deserved. His love explodes in grace. He doesn't just love you on your good days. He doesn't love you when things are going well in your life and you responded well. God loves you and it's unmerited. It's unearned. It's unconditional. It comes from the heart of God. God's love's not made and, and predicated upon our ability to produce while your boss at work and while others around you will give you credit because of the way you produce God says, I, I, my love's not based on that. Those days you blow it, I still love you as much. That's God's great love. And let's be honest, that just seems so different than the way we can tend to love each other, certainly different than the way the world loves. Ultimately, verse 9 says, this love was manifested, it was shown. 
when God sent his only begotten son into the world so we might live through him. This love was best demonstrated at Calvary. And it will never be fully understood. I think John's saying that. He said, but if you want the clearest picture, look at the cross. Why? Because he took your place there. He saved you and I from hell. His love was on display on Calvary. I was reminded of Ephesians 1, 7. I just want to read it, just so soak in it. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. There's that word lavished again. He poured it out upon us. Colossians 1.14 echoes this, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so we say, thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We say what we sing, amen. Amen for that. And as I read through Scripture, especially the next step you have on the bottom, hopefully you'll read it through this week, it seems so many people were really unaware that they needed this love. It seems a lot of people in Scripture were caught up in just the social gesture, like we are today. We think love is just a social nod of the head. I, I love you. And, and we use the word loosely. But it seems that people in the Bible, oftentimes, they didn't see their need for it. And Simon, in the next step reading, he had tried to analyze it. He tried to debate it. He prorated it, but he never received it. He never received God's love. And it seems to me we can try to conjure up love by our sheer force of will. Because what's really our typical strategy for treating a troubled relationship? You know what it is. Try harder. Roll up your sleeves. You can get this done. You might say my spouse or child needs my forgiveness and you might think I don't buy it, but I'll give it to them. We pat ourselves on the back. I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Okay, by golly, I will. So we roll up our sleeves. And so we try. Teeth clenched. Jaw firm. We're going to love if it kills us. <laughs> it may even do that. And so we try. I wonder if we're missing something. Could it be we're missing a step? I think it is. And could it be that the first step is not towards them, but towards him? Could it be that we're missing that step? And could it be the real secret to loving is first receiving? I think that's what 1 John is trying to hammer us with. Look at verse 10. And this is love. Not that we love God. It didn't start there. It started that he loved us. In verse 19, in case we didn't get it that time, he says it again. We love. How? Because he first loved us. If you long to be more loving, begin by accepting your place as a dearly loved child of God. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And then live a life of love, just as Christ loved us. Do you want to be more forgiving? Then consider how you're forgiven. 
receive that forgiveness. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you, Ephesians 4.32. Can't we love like this? Not without God's help, we can't. Because our relationships need more than a social gesture. Some of our spouses need a foot washing. Some of our friends need a sacrament of tears. Our children dearly need to be covered in the oil of love. But if we haven't received that ourselves, how can we give it? If we haven't received that perfect love of God, if we haven't received and been lavished on that God's love, how do we give it if we haven't received it? And if we haven't received these things ourselves, how do we even try to give it to others? Because our love, let's be honest, is so fickle. If we were really honest, maybe even as dads, this is a rough thought, doesn't it seem like we can conjure up maybe a little more love if our kids behave a certain way? And doesn't it seem we, we kind of get on them more and maybe don't express love when they don't act the way we want or because they're not turning out the way we want? How come we don't love like we should? I'll tell you why. Because a marriage-saving love isn't within you. A friendship-preserving love, friendship-preserving devotion as a father, it's not in you. We need a transfusion of a different kind of love. If we are to love as God loves, it starts by receiving. And John models the right sequence in verse 9 and 10 again. By this, the love of God was shown that God has sent his son. Here's the perfect example. Here's the love we need. And we can't love until we receive his love first. In verse 11, we get the sequence again. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the secret. The secret to loving is being loved. Many people tell us to love. But only God really gives us the power to do it. And how do we love as God loves? Live loved. That's how you do it. Live loved. Now verse 11 and 12 in light of that become clearer, don't they? This love will be visible when it's received. And throughout the Bible, there have been those who demonstrated God's love. And in each case, they received his love first. And when God's love is received... It's visible in several areas. Towards our family, towards our neighbors, towards our co-workers. And I've heard testimony after testimony after testimony of people who said something happened in this person's life and now all of a sudden there's like a greater capacity to love. It's because they received God's love. And it was that love as it splashed over into their life, which splashed over then into other people's lives. Isn't that the kind of love we, that really makes an impact? It is. But we can't love like that until we receive it first, until we possess it. And I love verse 12 through 17 because there's, there's a phrase repeated here. He says in 12, No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Verse 13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. There's a great assurance in us 
that we abide in God because there's a love in our lives that wasn't there before. We can be assured that God abides in us and we in Him if we see the Spirit producing in us a love for others and a confession of truth. Again, Paul or John does not separate the two. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in Him and He in God and we have come to know and have believed what? The love which God has for us. God is love, not love is God. And therefore... The one who abides in love abides in God and God in him. I mean, there's that connection. You can't separate God's love from us loving other people. And so John, verse 14 through 15, he really gives, first of all, this apostolic testimony. It's like he's saying, now listen, the reason I can say this is because we've seen him. We saw Jesus. We saw him live his life. We saw the way he treated people, even the outsiders. God has a heart for the outsiders all through the Bible, you see that. God loves people. And John said, we saw it at the cross when he rose, when he ascended. He said, that's our testimony. I'm qualified to tell you about this love of Jesus. The love where the Father sent the Son. I think that's one of the reasons it's so vital for us to affirm our Christian faith. I'm convinced it's one of the reasons these great creeds were written in the past by church fathers. Because they recognize this assurance that came when we confess truth. And I think there's great assurance that comes when we confess and base our life on God's love. God's love alone. These people, as John talks about, he talks about those as witnesses in verse 14. He says, us as witnesses, we testified on the historic reality of the person of Christ. We became convinced that Jesus had fulfilled the prophecy of the Old Testament, that he was the promised Messiah. We saw his miracles, we heard his teachings, we saw him crucified, risen, and ascended. And so John says, we've seen, and we can testify to this love. It's a historical love. And for those who are honest seekers, I strongly encourage you to look at historical evidence of the reality of Jesus Christ. There's many who've done that, and because of that, I've come to faith in Christ as they've seen the truth and reality of who Jesus is. Verse 13, 16, and 17, I want you to notice a phrase, because it's something, it's kind of the title of the series a little bit, but it's also something God wants you to have. It's called assurance. Verse 13, by this we know. Verse 16, and we have come to know. Verse 17, by this love is perfected with us so we may have confidence. That's how God wants you to live. Assured of his love, assured of truth, confident in his love. So you can have confidence in the day of judgment. God wants you to have assurance to live assured life. Overcoming it is assured. That's kind of, I think, the theme of 1 John. This assurance is seen in love. God's love, receiving it and confessing it. There's assurance for the believer when we have a love for the Savior, a love for the Scriptures, a love for His sanctuary, a love for the saints, and a love for the sinners. And that's a love of a different kind i got to be honest, I didn't love those things before Jesus. 
I didn't care about them. I didn't care about being with God's people. I didn't really care about the Savior. I didn't really know much about the Savior. The scriptures, I knew very little. So I really couldn't lo love what I didn't know. And for sinners, I didn't even really know I was a sinner. It wasn't until Jesus opened my eyes and poured out his love into my life that all of a sudden there was a love there I didn't know before. I knew manipulation. I knew control. I knew trying to earn it. But what I didn't know was this unconditional, unspeakable, unending, unselfish love until I met Jesus Christ. And I wonder, do you have that assurance this morning? Do you have assurance of God's love for you? And have you received it? John would exhort you to do that. And he seems in verse 18 to 21 to make a shift. He talks about how great God's love is, and he talks about the assurance we are to have about that love. And then in verse 18 to 21, it seems he now zeroes in on the touch of God's love and, and what it does in our life. When we receive first, the results are profound. He says in verse 18, there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Not general love, not our love, certainly not the love of the world. Perfect love. His love casts out fear. God's love touches us at our deepest, deepest point. And I'm convinced one of our deepest points in our lives and our hearts is our fears. And you know our two greatest fears. If I took a survey here, it'd be overwhelming. Death and rejection. Psychologists, studies, they'll tell you the same thing. Deep in our heart, the things we fear the most are the future. Death. And secondly, rejection. None of us want to be rejected. Perfect love casts out both of that. Think about it. God says in Christ, your future is secure. You don't need to fear your future. You're in Jesus. Your future's with him forever. In rejection, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. And so in Christ, in his love, there's no fear. There's nothing to fear for us. We live with a great peace. God's perfect love casts out fear. You see, God does for you what Bill Tucker's father did for him. Bill Tucker was a young boy, 16 years old, when his dad suffered a health crisis. Consequently, he had to leave his business. Even after Mr. Tucker regained his health, the Tucker family really struggled financially. Barely scraping by. And Mr. Tucker was an entrepreneur type spirit and he came up with an idea he won a bid to reupholster the theater seats his family thought he was nuts he didn't know anything about sewing he didn't know anything about making upholstery he had never stitched a seat he didn't even own any sewing apparatus still he found someone to teach him the skill and he located an industrial strength machine and so the family scraped together everything they had. And Bill even says they went through the sofa cushions and brought out a bunch of change, which is where all our change is, right? Emptied the savings account. Finally, they had enough. And it was a great day 
Bill says when we rode together, just Dad and I to pick up the equipment. And Bill remembers that expectant, jovial trip, hour-long trip, as they discussed the bright horizons of what the future held. This opportunity that was offered them. They loaded the machine into the back of the pickup, make sure they put it tight against the cab. They secured it. And Mr. Tucker then invited his son to drive home. He says, I'll let, and I'm going to let you or hear what Bill had to say. He says, as we were driving along, we were excited, and I, like any 16-year-old driver, was probably not paying enough attention to my speed. And just as we were turning on the cloverleaf to get on the expressway, I'll never, ever forget watching the sewing machine, which was already top-heavy, begin to tip. I slammed on the brakes, but it was too late. I saw it go over the side. I jumped out and ran around the back of the truck, and as I rounded the corner, I saw our hope and our dream lying on side, it in pieces. Then I saw my dad just looking. All of his risk and all of his endeavor and all of his struggling and all his dream, all of his hope to take care of his family was lying there shattered. You know what comes next, don't you? Stupid punk kid. Driving too fast. You're not paying attention. You ruin the family by taking away our livelihood. But that's not what he said. He looked right at me. He said, oh, Bill, I'm so sorry. He walked over, put his arms around me and said, son, this is going to be okay. I wonder this morning if God might be whispering that to you. I don't know where your life is or what's going through your mind, and you might have great fears about the future. Maybe you've just lost your job. Maybe you're like Bill Tucker's dad. The bank account's running really dry. I don't know what fears you have. But maybe this morning it's God's voice you hear. And he's saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay because I love you perfectly. And so receive his love. He invites you to do that. And when you do, he touches you. He touches your life in profound ways. My encouragement to you is let his love touch the recesses of your heart. Receive his touch and he will touch your heart. He will pour out his love upon you. How does that, what does that look like? I mean, what does it look like when he touches our life and when his love just trickles into the recesses of our heart? Verse 20 and 21, John takes us to the principle and I couldn't help but thinking of an example of another passage of scripture. See, John's hammering the po home the point, receive first, because only then can you give. We would probably say one of the greatest chapters on love is 1 Corinthians 13. You know it well, probably. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil. But love always rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. I was told by a person one time some years ago, he says, Matt, why don't you plug your name in there? I did, and I became a liar. It really became a joke. I didn't get very far. I put Matt as patient, and I had to stop. 
I had to say that's enough because I know myself all too well. Am I patient? Am I kind? Ask my family. They'll tell you the truth. You see, the problem I had when I tried to do that is this set a standard I could never reach. I could not meet it. None of us can. I mean, no one can reach the standard of 1 Corinthians 13 except Christ. Let's put Jesus' name in it. Doesn't all of a sudden take on a new light? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. Jesus is not proud. He's not rude. Jesus is not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but Jesus rejoices in the truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. Jesus never fails. And I think instead of letting 1 John and 1 Corinthians 13 remind us of a love we can't produce, maybe we should let it remind us of a love we just can't resist. His love. Let his love touch the recesses of your heart. Because you know what? Christ in you is patient. Christ in you is kind. Christ in you is all the things 1 Corinthians 13 says. But it's only Christ in you that allows us to live that type of love. That's the great assurance. God's love. And when his love is received, it will touch your life. It will transform you. Now right now you're saying, wait a minute, you keep saying this over and over. When Christ's love is received, how, how do I do that? What does that look like? Well, the Bible has this thing called prayer. We've heard the, where, the word all, and it's just talking with God. It's listening to God. It's a two-way communication. Receiving his love is hearing what he says and believing it. It's called faith. That's how we receive it. We receive it in faith and something deep in our spirit. God does what you could call something miraculous. He changes it. His love can change a hard heart, a shrunken heart. His love can heal a hurting heart. His love can remove doubt. And certainly, as we just read, his love, his perfect love, gets rid of fear. Because God loves perfectly. And thus it touches our life in a way that casts out fear. Doesn't this comfort you? That God's love does not hinge on yours. And the abundance of your love does not increase his. And the lack of your love, it doesn't diminish his. God loves you simply because he chose to. He chose to love you. We didn't conjure up. We didn't manipulate. There's no way we could. God loves you just because he chose to. And his love is a perfect love. It's an unfailing love. And so live loved. Receive his love first. And then love second. Don't mix up the order. There's many here this morning, if you're listening and maybe even via the internet, I want to exhort you to call upon him. To just wash you over with his love. Not some fluffy imitation, but this real, this perfect love. A love so deep that can wash over your heart 
cast out fear, heal hurt, and transform your life. How do you do this? You receive it. We do it in prayer. And let's be honest, God somehow in this thing called worship, when we lift up and honor him, he pours out his love. It's like we can't outgive him. He continues to pour out his love to those who receive it. And so this morning, you get to close the sermon. <laughs> the application is you receiving that love. And I want to encourage you in these following moments of prayer and song that it would be you calling out for his love to wash over you. You praising him for a love so amazing, so beyond us. Let it be you calling out for his love. And I wonder this morning who needs a fresh flow of God's love. I want to bow in prayer this morning and just let you talk to your Savior. Why don't you bow with me? As you bow this morning, I want to ask you, if you this morning, in your heart, maybe you're a believer already, but life right now has become quite difficult for you. You have to admit life is, right now there's just a lot of fear that's crept in. Doubt. Maybe life's become incredibly confusing. Or maybe this morning you're like, you know, I've never received Christ's love for me. I've never trusted him as my Savior. If you're in one of those two camps this morning, maybe just this morning your heart's shrunken and you know you need his love to wash over you. If you need a fresh flow of God's love this morning, I want you to just slip up your hand. Just, just make this a confession to God and say, God, I need a fresh flow into my life. Just slip up your hand by an act of faith to receive it. want to give you these moments between you and God to call upon him, confess your need, ask him to take away the fear. Let this be your moment, just you and the Lord. Help us to drink deeply from your endless supply of love. Help us to know when we do, we discover a love that touches us. And Lord, we find a love that's really worth giving. God, immerse each heart here in the wonder of your love. Lord, that we get lost in it. It would capture us. It would grip us. It would surround us. It would transform us. God, wash us. 
refresh us in that love this morning. In the song that's about to be sung, I invite you maybe this morning as you consider this love, you want to bow in humility. Maybe you want to raise your hands and surrender. Maybe you just want to right in front of you open your hands and say, Lord, I want to receive more and more of this love. Whatever, let's sink deep into this perfect love.